I'm so honored to be among the church familia. I hope that you received the notification that you're going to learn Spanish today. So, uh, so honored to share with you the, the word of God. And knowing that we are transitioning, we keep moving on Matthew. We are preaching expositorily Matthew, and we are transitioning from the baptism of Jesus Christ to the temptation of the King, the Jesus Christ. And today, I'm going to explain what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to read the text, 11 verses. I'm going to explain the reason why Jesus was taken to the wilderness. And then I'm going to extract three truths about Jesus' temptation. And finally, I will give you some applications about how can we face temptation biblically. So that's the plan for today. Remember that in the previous chapter, Jesus was affirmed by the Father. And the Father told Jesus that he was the Son of Love, the, the beloved Son of God. And he was empowered and, and, and anointed by the Holy Spirit. And now is the same Spirit of God that leads him into the wilderness. So when you read this text, you will see Jesus facing the temptation, using the scripture. And the idea behind of this is that Matthew wants to present us Jesus as the new Moses, new Adam, new Israel that overcome the temptation with God's word. Remember, keep the context in mind. Matthew has in mind an, a Jewish audience. A Jew, Jewish audience that through generation, through generation, they were retelling about the Messiah. They were retelling about God's promises. They were retelling about all the stories. They didn't have movie nights. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I have movie nights every Friday. But they didn't have movie nights. They didn't, they didn't have entertainment. They just gather as a family, and they retell the stories. The story is the story. Day by day, week by day, by week, remembering God's promises and God's um, stories with his people. And this is the audience that Matthew has in mind. So when you read Matthew, every time you, you, you come to the church and you read Matthew, you may skip one eyes in Matthew and the other in the Old Testament because Matthew is the gospel that quotes the most the Old Testament, 52 times, more than any others. Why? Because the audience was Jewish. And he wants to convince his audience, the audience, his audience, that this Messiah, this Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David, offering of Abraham, of Abraham. This Messiah, this Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the promised Messiah, who will come to deliver them and give them a new exodus. With that in mind, I invite you to dive in into the text. And we're going to deal with the text. We're going to digest the text and we're going to... We're going, to apply, we're going to apply the text to our lives. So, so let's read together. Verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the word of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, 
Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and under your hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him at a very high mountain and showed him, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory, under your glory. And he said to him, All this I give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. When we read this text, there is a couple questions that we need to answer before we move forward. Who took Jesus? Who led Jesus to the, to the wilderness? Why he did it? What was the purpose of it? When you read the text, the text answers some of this question. Jesus was let, led out by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This line, this very line, introduction, demonstrates two important things. Two important things. First, it demonstrates that God is not the one responsible of tempting Jesus. It's important. James chapter 1.13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So God does not tempt anyone. And this means that God is not responsible to tempt us morally. In no circumstance is God able to tempt anyone toward evil. And second, also this text reveals that Satan cannot act independently from God. He can't. God is the one that leads Jesus to the desert to be tempted by the devil. devil. And the implication is that Satan is not free to act on his own account without the divine approval of God. Why this is important, Moses? Well... I don't know if, if you know, but the, many of every religion, they teach that this dualistic view, that meaning that God and evil are at the same level or and they have the same power. And coming from the background that I come, um, many people in the church, they think in that way. We have placed Satan in the same level, like fighting in the same level. And that's not true. That's not biblical. That's, you see that here. He's, he can't act by his own account. And sa- Satan has always and will always be under God's power. Satan, Satan is not almighty. He's not everywhere. He can't. He's not God. He's a creature. Now, the, mom, the moment to Satan tempt Jesus has come. Do you remember Genesis 3, 15, the promise, the seed of the woman? So Satan was waiting for the moment to face this offspring that will crush his head. And he has him face to face. And his goal is the same that he had in Eden. Eden. He will try to make him fall. So the purpose of it is, the Bible says that he was taken to be tempted. Why? Why? Well, many answers. He will be our new representative. He will be our new representative. What does it mean? Well, that Jesus will be a better Adam. 
he will be a better Adam. When you read verse 2, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Doesn't it sound like an echo, something that you heard in Eden? The origin of temptation and sin can be found in Genesis. Do you remember that? Do you remember that our representative Adam, without intention of sin, without motivations to sin, he fell? And the way, the strategy that Satan used was the same one than here. Do you remember Genesis 3, 1? The Satan, Satan questioning what God has said. Did God actually say that? You shall not eat any tree in the garden. It was what he said. And then in verse 4, he contradicted what God has said. You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It was a direct attack to the authority of God, to the God's word, to God himself. So what you see here in chapter 4 is an attack to what God has said. Do you remember what happened in the verse 17, chapter 3? The, the, what was the last voice that Jesus heard? You are my behold son. Do you remember that? You are my behold son. And then in chapter 4, the first voice that he heard, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, again, Satan is trying to attack his identity, Jesus' identity. But now, the good news is this, where Adam failed, Christ conquered. And now he will be our representative. And that has been the strategy, brothers and sisters, since the beginning. Questioning what God has said and, and presenting disobedience and sin as an attractive, sweet, and without consequences option. That's the same thing. Think every time you have sinned, you have believed that Sin is attractive, sweet, and without consequences options. So now, you will see in the scripture later on that Paul writes in Romans 5 that, yeah, that reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who were, who, those was sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come, referring to Jesus Christ. And it first seemed, for, for, same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So you'll see that it was important for us to see Jesus under temptation, under temptation because he will be our new Adam, our new representative. But also, he will be a better Moses. He will be a better Moses. Let us remember the audience that Matthew has in mind. Um, they have in mind a Moses as a great prophet. And if you read the, the, the book of Matthew, you will notice how much Matthew strives to demonstrate that this Jesus will fulfill all the promises of the new prophet, Moses. And he picked these words carefully after fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Do you know that there is no other gospel who refers 40 days and 40 nights but Matthew? Matthew is the only gospel that makes this distinction because they knew that when he writes this, this gospel and he refers and points Jesus to the wilderness and fasting 40 days and 40 nights, for us it doesn't make sense at all. But for the audience, they connect with Moses. Because only Moses 
had been 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, well, in the mountain receiving the law of God, Ten Commandments. So what we see here is an allusion of 40 days and 40 nights that Moses spent as well. And it will make automatically automatically a connection with Moses. It will remind this audience about this new prophet that was about to come, Deuteronomy 18. Do you remember that? Deuteronomy 18. I will raise up for them and a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth. And, I, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So they have in mind. And they are making the connection. And Matthew's intention is to connect this, this Jesus Christ as this promised prophet. A new Moses, better Moses. The rabbis recognize that the Messiah will recreate important events associated with the ministry of Moses. That's why you see Matthew highlighting important similarities between Moses and Jesus. His infancy, his teaching ministry, his fasting, his miracle, and the transfiguration. Why, Matthew? Why? Why are you striving to do this? Because Jesus will guide his followers to a new exodus. Jesus will begin a better and a new covenant. And Jesus will be a better servant than Moses. Matthew presents Jesus as a better Moses. Not only as a better Adam, as a better Moses, but also as a better Israel. God guided his people through the desert for 40 years because of their faithlessness. And the Spirit guides Jesus to the desert for 40 days so that in his obedience is opposed to the disobedience of the nation. Interesting that the temptation that Jesus faced follows the same outline on the Israelites' disobedience in the desert. Israelites demanding bread. God sent them manna. Israelites doubt the presence of God, of the Lord. They tempted God. They didn't trust God. They idolized, idolized. Their comfort in Egypt. And Jesus changed all those acts of disobedience. And with his obedience then, he is our better Israel. So Matthew seems to present a contrast between the faithful response of Jesus as a son and the unfaithfulness of Israel as a son. So now that we know the purpose of Jesus taking to the wilderness, let me extract Three important truths of this text. The first, we find it in verse 1 and the first temptation of verse 1, 1 and 4. Obedience to God is more important than our daily bread. Obedience to God is more important than our daily bread. Let's read again. And I will take you back to the text again, 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 again. Because I want you to see the text and listen to the text more than my words. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But they answered, It is written. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. When you read the text, you see that the text implies that Jesus was not sustained 
during his fasting in a supernatural way. As a matter of fact, the text highlights that Jesus was experiencing hunger. And what he tells us, it reminds us that Jesus is, Jesus is 100% man, 100% God. And he's facing this temptation in his human nature. How do you know, Moses? Well, remember, and you will see in the future, a couple of chapters ahead, that Jesus, from nothing, he multiplied the bread for 5,000 people, and then later for another group of 4,000 people. And he demonstrates his divine nature in those miracles. But here, he's facing the temptation in his human nature. So he may represent us as a human as well. What did the temptation entail? This temptation, as every temptation that we all have, it's about disobeying God and break his fasting. He's inviting Jesus for a breakfast. To disobey God, to supply a physical need, and to use an illeg illegitimate way to supply his legitimate need. To supply his physical need. Satan was inviting Jesus to break his fast wrongly, not waiting until God's approval. And he's trying to persuade, to persuade Jesus to change his priorities. He wants Jesus to think that his greatest need is the physical one and not the spiritual one. And brothers and sisters, tell me if that is not what happened to us daily. We think that our greatest need is the physical one. And that's what we fear. We fear when we don't have, we lost our jobs. We don't have some secure things, money in the bank, whatever. And those things are not wrong. Don't get me wrong. But Jesus is teaching here that obedience to God is more important than our daily bread. How do you know, Moses? By the way, he responded. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know that this answer represents a parallel to the falling that the Israelites did in the desert. He's thinking about these people. You remember these people quarreling, murmuring, criticizing the leader Moses and, and so forth. They were like unsatisfied now under the guidance of God. And now Jesus answered, quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, and, 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 and the text says in his context, it was a, the context of Deuteronomy is that a wonderful provision of God in Israel. And he's using the scripture. He's pushing back with the scripture to the temptation. And this is what the Deuteronomy says. And he humbled you and led you hunger and fed you with manna. So God allows them going through this crisis so he may reveal the, their idols, the idols of their hearts, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he may make you known that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Satan, Satan knew very well, he knew very well that Jesus is the son of God. However, he challenged Jesus to prove it. He challenged him to prove it. Turning, turning these stones into bread in response to the challenge that Satan gave him would have proved that Jesus recognized 
Satan authority over the authority of God the Father. Brothers and sisters, just as Jesus trusted completely in God to provide, so does their followers. We must do as well. Physical bread is good. We love it. I love it. But a spiritual bread is always better. One question. How many times a day do you eat physical bread? Maybe you have had breakfast already. Some of you are expecting this to service to finish, so you may have another meal. Well, remember what the scripture says? <laughs> But my question also is how many times a day do you eat the spiritual bread? You see, our problem is not a timing problem to eat the spiritual bread. It's a problem of not having appetite for God's word. It's the word of God, only the word of God, only the word of God that will lead us to know the bread of life. Actually, if you are here and you are not Christian and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, there, there is no other way. It's just through his scripture that he has revealed his son. So you may satisfy this spiritual need that you have. That your religions, good works, your moral acts will not feed that. But Jesus. So Jesus said to them, one moment, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. I have a question, brothers and sisters. How much are we prioritizing God's word into our lives? Do you eat God's word only when you come on Sunday? Well, some of you, maybe you sleep, you miss a meal, spiritual meal, but, but it's fine. Um, but how much do you prioritize God's word? Let us remember that man does not live by bread alone, by material things, but from the word of God, man shall live. We need it. You need it. I need it. Not just on Sunday. I need it every day. And let me tell you, to be honest, there are some days that I don't want it. There's something that I don't feel it. But it's not about feeling. It's about needing. And you and me, we need God's word daily, every single day. So, obedience to God is more important than our daily bread. Second, trusting in God is more important than our well-being. Trusting in God is more important than our well-being. Read with me verse 5 and 7. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. You know what? For it is written. It's written. He will command his angel concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put your Lord, your God, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And if you read that, you may think that there is contradiction. Because Satan is quoting the scripture. He's misquoting the scripture. And if you see some contradiction between some people that have an understanding about the scripture or something, an interpretation, and other people contradicting each other, there is a problem. One of them are wrong, is wrong, or both of them are wrong. But no. They can't both of them be right and contradict the scripture. And what Satan is doing, he's misquoting Psalm 91. I know you love it. Psalm 91, 11, it's a promise 
of God's protection to his people in general, but specifically to the Messiah. And Satan is misquoting. He's the chief of all prophets. He's the, he's the chief of all teacher. And that's what every false religion does. They take the scripture, twist it, and misuse it, misapply it. He knows the Bible, and he misquoted purposely. Why? Because he cannot validate the scripture, but he can twist its meaning. And Jesus responds forcefully with another quote of the Rotomy 6.16, which referred to the test that the Israelites didn't pass after being freed from Egypt. And he quotes Deuteronomy 6.16. Read what he says. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you test him at Massah. Okay. Now he opened another window. What happened, Moses? Moses. No, no, no Moses of the scripture. I'm not talking about myself. So what happened, Moses, Pastor Moses? What happened in Massah? What happened? Well, if you remember this People were quarreling with Moses. They were criticizing the leader. They were complaining, and, 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 and they were asking for water and drink. And Moses said to, him, to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? They sinned again against God, doubting that God was with them and would care for them. And Moses, it says in verse 7, that he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So they were doubting that God was there to sustain them and to provide for them. And you see now how Jesus pushed him back, quoting Deuteronomy again. Because what Satan wants is to test God and tempt God. And that's the way Satan, Satan wants Jesus to sin. Your well-being is more important. Actually, I can quote the scripture, Jesus. Your well-being is important than trusting God. So why don't you jump in out of the God's will? Brothers and sisters, we are like the people of Israel. But thanks be to God that Jesus overcame what Israel failed. And we put our comfort sometimes, our security, above our trust in God. And we haven't realized how easy it is to idolize comfort and safety. Sometimes we misquote the scripture to justify our idols, don't we? That we can bring text from the scripture in order to justify our fears. We don't want anything that moves us out of out of our comfort zone. We don't want it. We'd rather to trust in ourselves more than in God. We trust more in ourselves, in our capacity to control what is around us than in God. And let me tell you, if you have believed, and I tell this with love, if you have believed in your heart that your safety and your provision for you, for your family, come from you and not from God, then you must repent because you are making yourself God. And worst, we are capable to justify our idolatry misquoting the scripture. 
I don't know if you have heard people that said, oh, he's not a Christian, but I'm going to marry him because God wants me to evangelize him. And then when the things doesn't go well, he said, well, I will divorce because I know that God wants me to be happy. Or maybe you have heard someone that says, well, I have to work, 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 seven days, more than 12, 14 hours because what? God wants me to be the provider. What happened with your family, your kids? No, 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 no. I am the provider. And that's what got me one. Yes, he wants you to be the provider, but he wants you to shepherd your family too. God promises to take care of us all at all times and everywhere. So let us not tempt the Lord like the people of Israel in Massah. Trusting in God is more important than our safety and comfort. And comfort. And third, worship to God is more important than the pride of life. Worship to God is more important than, our, than the pride of life. Verse 8 to 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. He likes heights. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all this I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Satan was not satisfied and other texts and other gospel says that he left him for a while. And we know from the, the gospel that Satan insists in tempting Jesus to fall, to fail. And he keeps looking for ways to make Jesus to fall into temptation. So what does the temptation entail here? Well, well, Satan wants Jesus to disobey God. Pay attention to this. This is a crazy thing. He wants Jesus to disobey God, worshiping Satan, Satan offering a broken and fallen kingdom. He wants that Jesus follow him and worship him because Satan is offering an instant gratification. Satan didn't know that Jesus has a better promise and offer. And you see the Old Testament, Daniels, all the prophecies and the Psalms quoting that this new king will rule and reign forever in a better and eternal kingdom. And Satan is trying to pursue him, offering this instant gratification and inviting Jesus to worship Satan in exchange of all the riches recognition of this world. Basically, what he's doing is like tempting Jesus to give him what only belongs to God. And what did Jesus? What he did? Push back with the scripture again. It is the Lord, he's quoting, this is Deuteronomy, the, the, the text that he's quoting, Deuteronomy 6.13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Once again, the word of God, the word of God wants to remind us that our worship is solely to God. It's just only, it's only for God. 
I'm, I'm in awe to see Jesus using the scripture so often, handling rightly the scripture, not out of context, but using it as a sword. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, once again, we see the tendency of our hearts to pursue the glories of this world. And sometimes we do it on purpose. We do it in, in, even though it means disobeying God. We want to please our people. We want to please the world. We want to be like in peace sometimes. With, and we will try to reconcile something that the scripture t- teaches that is impossible to reconcile. And Jesus, sometimes we do it for instant gratification. We satisfy ourselves falling into temptation because we want instant gratification. Wait until marriage before you have intimacy. No. What do you test now? So you may know if things are going, going to happen well. Or why don't you try this other woman? She looks better. She will not be, you know, complaining every time, every moment. You can do it. Nobody will notice. Same strategy trying to uh, lead us into instant gratification and worship ourselves and our desires. But Jesus once again reminds us the importance of a scripture and the importance of having knowledge of the scripture and the power of the scripture. And Jesus then gave an order to Satan and what? guess what? He did obey because he is God, Satan not. He said, be gone, Satan, for it is written. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. And the angels, the, the angels here means that Jesus passed the test. Where Adam and Israel fall, Jesus overcame. So worshiping God is more important than worshiping ourselves. And I want to invite you to think and to identify in what ways you are worshiping yourself. You are worshiping yourself. Or you are tempted to worship, to worship yourself instead of God. So let me bring you three, four, three applications, how we may face the temptation biblically. By the way, that's the title of the sermon Facing temptation biblically. Uh, let me clarify some things here. First, everybody in this room, everybody online is or has been tempted. And temptation itself is not a sin. Okay? Because we know for Jesus. You may be tempted from external pressure or because of your own sinful nature. How do I define temptation? Well, as a thought, idea, or an opportunity to disobey God. And we see in the scripture many instructions about how to face temptation biblically. We don't need three step of or program of motivations or humanistic ways to overcome temptation. Temptation will come because of our sinful nature. Or will come externally. In Jesus' case, it came externally because he was not in that in the same nature we are. But the first practical way to face temptation biblically, biblically is memorize 
Know and apply the scripture to your life. Memorize, know, and apply the scripture to your life. Memorize the scripture as, uh, uh, scripture as Jesus did it. Jesus quoted the scripture in the moment, in context, powerfully, because he memorized it, but he knew it and he applied it. Jesus used the scriptures as an instrument to overcome temptation. And we must know the scriptures so we, that we are not deceived by the enemy. And let me tell you this. If you don't know the scripture, you are vulnerable to be deceived by any false teacher. Because the false teachers, they will misquote the scripture. How can you know someone that teaches you the scripture is not teaching you wrongly? How do you know it? And that's why you see that Paul then will say, invite Timothy, Timothy to handle, rightly handling the word of God. It's a calling from every single Christian. No matter how many years you have in the church, it's a calling to you to handle in the scripture word. But not just, well, but not just memorizing it and having it and knowing it. It's applying it. I'm okay with memorization, but I... Rather to understand what you memorized. So you may apply it rightly. So you may please God rightly. And you may obey God rightly. So if you struggle lying with lies, find a text in the scripture, memorize it, understanding, and apply it. Do you struggle with lost pornography? Find a text that helps you to push back with the scripture, and of course, in, under the guidance of the Spirit, to push back this temptation from your thoughts. Do you, do you deal with, uh, do you struggle having contentment with the things or season you're living now that you would like to do more things, but because you have no money or you are single, you don't have the husband you want, you have the kids that you want, or you have many kids, and you, don't, and you, are, you, you are unsatisfied with that? Text in the scripture, memorize it. That feed your understanding and apply it in order to you to find a fully satisfaction in Christ. If you deal with any sin, do that. So you may push back your temptation. Second, you may, you may see in the scripture also the invitation to keep watch and pray to not fall into temptation. To keep watch. And pray to not fall into temptation. Later, later on in Matthew 6, in the Lord's Prayer, what Jesus said. And let us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We need to pray and trust in God too. Pray every day. I recommend you to do it. Every time this Attack comes from your nature or from outside. Pray, God, God, lead me not into temptation. Lead me not into temptation. I don't know you, but I have to pray that prayer every day. Every day. Also, you will see in, in the gospel that, that when Jesus went to Gethsemane with Peter, Jacob, and John, what he did, he invited them to pray. And he told them, you know, pray for an hour, just an hour. And when he came, what happened? They were sleeping. He found them sleeping. And he told them, watch and pray 
that you may not enter into temptation. Why, Jesus? Well, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You and me should trust in God, not in ourselves. We are not strong enough. You are not strong enough. I am not strong enough. Therefore, watch and pray. You are weak. You may, in the spirit, you may want something, but your flesh may lead you in an opposite direction. And finally, run away from everything that may enhance your sins. Run away from everything that may enhance your sins. Alcohol, chemicals, drugs, friends, Avoid conversations, relationships. Avoid it. If you know that conversations, relationships, um, alcohol, whatever may potentialize your capacity to sin, run away. Run away. Accordingly, 1 John 2, verse 15 and 16, there is three areas of temptation that every human being is subjected to. The desire of your flesh, the desire of your eyes, and the pride of life. The pride of life. And the temptation that comes to the eyes may lead you to sin. The woman that is not yours. Vanity that is not things that you don't need and you want to satisfy your hunger to get things, material things because of your own satisfaction because you want to look great. The temptation to defend your pride, your ego. That you want people to know that you know or you want people to support your view even though it is unbiblical. But you know what? I think that there is also something important that we should consider in the light of this text is be careful be careful not to be the tempter. Not to be the tempter. Not to be the stumble block of others. Inviting them to criticize. Inviting them to murmur, to lie, and so forth. Sometimes we may justify them, and we want to maybe to gossip and asking someone, hey, can you pray for my brother? Uh, I'm just telling this because I want you to pray. But what you are doing is feeding your desire to gossip and to murmur, to cause damage because of your own desires. Pastor, what if I have seen what I should do because I did it? What I have what are the option that I have is if last night I was diving into the internet and again I fall into pornography or I was here but I was criticizing your sermon, Pastor. Mm-hmm. Or I'm a liar. I am a deceiver. What if I have failed? I can give you my own, own thoughts. But I think that in the scripture there is a text that can answer that question, and it applies to all of us. Hebrew chapter 4, verse 14 and 16 
Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But one who is in every respect has been tempted as, our, as we are, yet without sin. Let us, this is the invitation, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you have sinned, if you have fell into temptation, run to the throne of grace. Somebody says, there is more grace in Christ that sins in you. And that's the good news, brothers and sisters. That because of Jesus' obedience, now we can come in confidence to the throne of grace. And now we can worship his name. We can, we can walk in righteousness. We can obey him. We can live accordingly his word. Because of what Jesus did. And there is nothing. He will not change. He loves you and he sees you the same way every single day. You are full of righteousness. Not because of your merit. Because of the work of Jesus Christ. He loves you the same every single day. Not because of your performance. But because of the work of Jesus Christ. Do you understand it? That makes Jesus our Savior and the way and the only way to the Father. And that's the good news, brothers and sisters. That's the reason we are here. Because we will not be able to fulfill God's standard, but Jesus did. If you're here, you're, you are not a Christian, you will not please God by your own merits. There is no way you can do it. There is no way. Your religion, your good words, moral acts, nothing but Jesus. And he's inviting you to repent from your sins and confess your sins. And come to him knowing your incapacity to please God by your own effort, but by Jesus. And confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You know what? Because he bore your sin. And that's one part of the good news. The other part is that he lived Perfectly in obedience. And all these perfections and righteousness is imputed to those who believe in him. So now, every time we come to the throne of grace, God didn't see your imperfections, but the perfection of Jesus Christ. And that's only possible through Jesus. And we invite you to consider Jesus so you may know him and you may live for his glory. Let's pray and ask God. That help us to face temptation biblically. Dear God, Heavenly Father, once again, thank you for your grace. Giving us your word. Thank you for the church. This church that is a stand in your word. Thank you for this people. That is following God's word, and help us to honor you and to proclaim you to all nations and to everyone that is in need of hearing your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.